Welcome to the Fan Engagement Pod. Uh, I thought it was uh, important to provide a bit of context to this episode. Some people might wonder why we're getting so involved in policing, security and fan behaviour when we're meant to be all about fan engagement. But fan engagement is about relationship with fans of all stripes, not just those who sit on the shadow board, run the supporters trust, volunteer regularly, attend every match home and away or just come every so often. And it's as much about how a club engages with fans at risk at football as much as it is those at risk away from football in the wider community. I've repeatedly said that the, the two will overlap and that you can't show one face in the community and another one on match days. Fan engagement is a messy business because fans are not one type and don't reside in one place. The episode discusses policing and at-risk fans and how clubs respond to that, but it really does settle uh, on the overlap we often see between different groups that a football club might meet through its varied work on the match day, on a match day and in the community and how we can de-escalate uh, and start being more logical and thoughtful. We look at how to change the approach of dealing with antisocial behaviour and problem fans from one of removal and banning to education and helping them to become better citizens. Our guests are Owen West, former Chief Superintendent at West Yorkshire Police and now Senior Lecturer in Policing at Edgehill University, Amanda Jacks, caseworker at the Football Supporters Association and Christine Green, Director of Grimsby Town as well as something of an expert in communications between police and fans and she's also the club's supporter liaison officer. Sydney Wise to Think Fan Engagement's writer and researcher and recent author of a um, associated piece to this podcast also makes an appearance towards the end and apologies for the poor sound quality in places this was not something we've been able to improve a great deal but it's still a great listen. We've got loads of episode links available in the podcast description. Keep an eye out on fanengagement.net and find our socials on Linktree, which is link, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash think fan engagement. Register for free on the fanengagement.net website and you get access to the fan engagement hub, newsletters, more detailed data and case studies from the fan engagement indexes. And please do like, subscribe and share. It really does help our visibility in a crowded podcast world. Enjoy the show. got with me um, Amanda Jacks, caseworker at the FSA. Is caseworker still, isn't it, Amanda? Um, Indeed, yes. Yeah, right. Um, Owen uh, West, former Chief Superintendent. Are you still... Do we do, we, we do refer to you as former Chief Superintendent, do we, Owen? Um, <laughs> yes, Kevin, I've not gone back. Um, <laughs> I don't know how it works. No, I don't know no. once you're former, you're always former. Okay, excellent. Former Chief Superintendent. It was West Yorkshire, wasn't it? Yes, now a yes, senior well, lecturer at Edgehill University. That's the one, now senior lecturer at Edgehill. Um, and Christine Green, Director of Grimsby, Support Liaison Officer, and um, something of an expert um, on the on the sort of 
the, the statements that police put out. You studied that for your dissertation, I seem to remember, your your, uh, your final project in uh, in your um, in your degree, didn't you, Christine? I did, yeah. So I did a, a degree in comms and PR, thanks to being involved in football. Um, and my dissertation that scored really well, actually, was on pre-match comms, police comms for high-risk games. So sort of looking at whether they're helpful or actually prohibitive in what the, the message that they're trying to send. So, yeah, it's a real interest of mine. OK, well, that no, I mean, that gives us a good starting point because... Um, the, 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 one of the questions I've got, or the sort of thoughts I've had about this, is that the Cleveland Police tweet, which, which kind of in a, in a certain circle of people became quite um, uh, uh, notorious. Um, I'm going to put this link in the, in the episode um, um, notes so people can at least see the picture that accompanied the tweet, because obviously the tweet was deleted, as tends to happen these days, because for whatever reason... Um, they decided it wasn't such a wise idea to post. <laughs> um, but that that tweet from Cleveland, Christine, you know the one I mean, because it was a it was a Grimsby match, wasn't it? It was Grimsby playing at Hartlepool, was I right? Um, I'm not sure it was ours. Was it um, not? Okay, all right. Well, it was it was no. Hartley, Hartlepool match, wasn't it? Well, yes. Yeah. Is this something? Hartlepool Stockport, I Hartlepool think, Stockport. from memory. Mm. Thank you, Owen. Um, so Hartlepool Stockport, Christine, is this typical? Um, I think it's less so typical now um, than it has been. But the fact that it's still happening when there's plenty of us talking about this regularly and there's now studies on it. I've done a study, I've got a dissertation. Um, happy to share that with any anybody working in uh, football policing that wants to have a look at that at the at the adverse effect on it. And you have to look at it and go, what was the thought process behind that tweet? What was the impact? How was it supposed to have been received? And actually, for me, looking at it and doing quite a bit of research in it, those sorts of tweets are never aimed at football fans. They're aimed at the general public to reinforce the perception of football fans. My own personal opinion, that was to reinforce the numbers that would be there on the day police-wise, um, and it was never about engaging or any sort of warm welcome or whatever the, the tweet was worded. That was about reinforcing and playing up to a non-football crowd that was looking in on that fixture for me. Um, Owen, I, it, I don't want to turn this into an adversarial conversation because I'm not a big fan of those. But do you, is that right in your experience? I completely agree with what Christine said. And, you know... There were times in my 30 years of policing where you have a, a head in the hands moment and, and reading that tweet was certainly one of those without without doubt. And, and Chris is absolutely right that it speaks to a broader issue beyond that, that sort of match. And the broader issue is the mindset of uh, police forces up and down the country in relation to football fans as being inherently violent uh, and predisposed, if I can say it that way, can't even get my words out, um, towards violence. Uh, and, you know, the narrative still is around the hooligan. It's around being inherently violent. Uh, it's around um, a, a sort of a culture of threat, uh, as opposed to thinking about these events as public safety events and as opportunities to engage 
public safety being foremost in my mind at the minute, if you look at some of what might be called the near misses that we've had in terms of stadium safety, uh, and of course what happened in Indonesia, which is which is well beyond a near miss, 120 dead. Um, it worries me where some of this narrative is going because it is it is just compen <laughs> Sorry, forgive me, Kevin. I cannot get my words out this morning. It's been a long morning already. It continues to in, to entrench um, the view around the hooligan narrative, uh, and it, 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 it it's worrying. It won't be the first time that it's happened. It won't be the last time that it's happened. Uh, but it, it causes it causes real damage. Not only does it cause damage in terms of of what's gone off, but I also looked at the response to it. And the response from the force was not to apologize. It was to acknowledge that it hadn't hit the mark or, or, or some phrase like that. But actually what was needed in this circumstances was a really quick, genuine and heartfelt apology to say, you know what, we got this wrong. We got it badly wrong. We're sorry about that. But what we saw was this defensiveness, you know, this sort of meek language around, oh, well, it, it, uh, it didn't quite hit the mark. Well, it, it speaks volumes for some of the underpinning um, psychology that there is out there. And, and that's important on a wider issue because it's that sort of thinking, that sort of psychology that, that bleeds into the resourcing for football matches. And that's when you see over-resourcing and you know very aggressive policing postures in terms of dogs and uh, horses and you know riot gear, those sorts of things. So um, depressing, but um, I'm, I'm, you know, it's been like that for a while, as, as, as Chris has said. But, um, Amanda, um, they basically got it wrong, right? They did, yeah. And of course, I'm going to agree completely with what both um, Christine and Owen have said. But to me, you know, that there's a couple of more issues here. Um, first and foremost, a football match is a community event in the main, it will be attended by people that live and work within a five, 10 mile radius of a stadium. These, you know, we, we community is, <clears throat> excuse me, community is a real buzzword that's just churned out to the point it's ubiquitous, it's meaningless. But here you genuinely have people opening their front doors, walking a mile or two up the road to attend a community match. That's completely and utterly lost by the police. It's not treated as a community event. It's treated as an exercise in public order. And I've said continually for years and years now, it's such a short-sighted approach of the police. I think generally speaking, most people support the police. They recognise that they have a difficult job to do. They recognise that times are really tough for the police. But a constant refrain we hear is, we never see the police on our streets. We rang 999, the police took hours to come out. I was burgled, the police gave me a crime reference number, didn't even bother knocking on my door. So all of this sort of mindset knocks away at the, the, the esteem and regard that we should hold the police in. A football match is an absolutely perfect opportunity for the police to engage. Again, engagement is another bus buzzword that we hear so much. I, I don't think people stop to think what it properly means. But on a Saturday afternoon or a Wednesday evening, the police have at their disposal hundreds, if not thousands of people that live and work within their region. 
it's an absolutely brilliant opportunity for the police to talk to people, to say, all right, mate, how are you? You know, to, to really engender that feeling of trust and community and time and time and time and time and time again, that opportunity is missed. And ultimately, I, I just think it's sad. I think it's sad that the police don't see a football match as, you know, to put it bluntly, perhaps as a PR opportunity. Now, I don't think football fans want to be policed like, you know, we've all seen the photographs, haven't we, of events like Gay Pride or Notting Hill Carnival. You know, we don't want that style of engagement. But I think the police, and I say the police, you know, there's thousands of people in the police. They're all different. You know, to say the police is a bit of a sweeping statement. But I think broadly speaking, most matchgoers would really appreciate, uh, all right, mate, looking forward to the match today. It goes a really long way. And we, you know, with obviously notable exceptions in the main we don't see that and I think that tweet uh, you know you could say it was a one-off tweet by one cop it's not indicative of anything but as Kevin uh, as Christine and Owen have alluded to it's indicative of a mindset that sees football fans as some sort of other and not genuine law-abiding people that we are attending a community event on a Saturday afternoon. Okay, so I want to come. I want to come to that engagement point because that, in the end, this you know, we could have a really interesting conversation about policing and all that sort of stuff. But but I want to I want to get over get onto this subject of engagement, and I share your frustrations with it, Amanda, in the field that that I work in. That it's a, it's a it, it, it seems to be a, a phrase. Fan engagement engagement is a word. It's a phrase. The implications of it aren't understood fully by too many people. But just quickly coming back to um, some of the points that made there. Um, we've got, um, in the end, we've got someone who is the, the policing lead um, at the um, National, National Association of Chief Constables, um, uh, who, Mark Roberts, I believe, um, and, um, you know, his statement on uh, the, the apparent risks uh, of, um, of, of standing, um, that it encourages um uh, illegal drug use etc and now i mean when you've got that kind of language coming from the lead and if i can say this from a personal perspective when i see him interviewed um it all looks a bit frenzied to me it looks a bit kind of panicked almost that um that he's trying to get across this uh, this message that that we're in real danger um and i can't say it accords with my experience of going to football matches particularly um, and I've gone for 40 years now. Um, is this a lead? Is this solely leadership? Uh, it, well, is is this a is it a case? Um, and I suppose Owen um, might be the best person to go to, given that you know you've had a huge amount of experience here, and you are someone who's known for the well, work you've done. My view, Kevin, is this: my view is that the, the, the police service in England and Wales is at real risk marginalising itself within the industry because you have a leadership issue here where the answer is always no and actually the rest of the stakeholders are moving on so if you think about say standing uh, SGSA, FA, uh, Premier League, EFL, academics. Sorry Owen can you just say who the SGSA are because be that's the Sports Health Safety Authority forgive me so in a sense Kev you've, you've got a number of uh, well-regarded, uh, well-resourced uh, key stakeholders within the industry that are looking to move forward on something like safe standing. 
the only group that didn't move forward and, and try to work with that was uh, the policing from a from a national point of view. And um, you know, I, I said at the time, and I'm happy to repeat it now. Some of the you know, some of the things that were attributed to the potential for safe state were utter nonsense. You know, to, to suggest that that would automatically lead to racial chanting, it would automatically lead to uh, missile throwing, uh, homophobic comments, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you see that also uh, in terms of you know where we are in terms of potentially looking at uh, a review of, of the alcohol ban in view of the pitch. Uh, again, you know, mindful, thoughtful people are minded to have a look at that to, to sort of look at as a pilot, look at some of the academic research that's out there about unintended consequences of the ban, et cetera, et cetera. And yet the one stakeholder that, that remains in the trench and says, no, 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 no is the police uh, lead nationally, which is a real problem. And, and I've written before that the police service is, is at risk of marginalizing itself. If you think about some of the comments that Tracy Crouch made around the fan-led review, which talked about some of the issues that she'd had with, with policing. So I think to try and take it away from an individual, if I can, uh, just to broaden it a little bit, I think what's happening here is, is still um, a part of the austerity agenda. Uh, and we saw a reduction in police officers around football. Now, that wasn't as a result of, of you know, a, a new thinking about football, uh, policing football matches. It wasn't about doing things from a good heart. It wasn't about doing things in terms of um, proper and meaningful engagement around community events. It was driven by a squeeze on budgets and it was driven by the need to reduce the number of officers that were abstracted for football. And I think where we are now is looking at, Amanda alluded to some of this a few moments ago, where we're looking now is huge, unsustainable demand on policing and on criminal justice. And I think where the police are trying to push this narrative is around securing resources and more money. So I think this is about saying to raise the sort of the, the notion of threat, amplify risk, and then try to make a, a case to government to say, you know what, the Premier League should be playing for all of this, or the EFL should be paying for this. So I, I, I think that uh, fan violence, if I can put it that way, is being used as a vehicle to sort of leverage political positioning around ultimately who pays for some of this. Uh, and I think that's, that's a, again, is a, is a worrying position for the police to be in. And just finally, before, before others come in, let's not lose sight of the fact that there are quite a few progressive forces out there police forces that want to do things differently, that want to have much more of an engagement and a meaningful full model. The difficulty they have is they are held back by uh, a national doctrine, uh, policy strategy guidance set by the Chiefs Council uh, that they know themselves is, is not particularly placing them in a good place with their own fans. So there is a little bit of internal uh, tension here. You know, Not all forces agree with this. Quite a few forces want to push back. But it's a very powerful uh, narrative, and, and as we know, you know that the police generally, when, when you sat around a table of, you know, SGSA, Premier, all the, the key stakeholders, the police are, are quite a powerful group there. And, and I just wish that that, that sort of power and that, that uh, influencing was was done more on a more on a progressive um, basis than it is at the minute. If you, if, you, if your answer is always no, no, no then don't be surprised if other stakeholders move on uh, without you. Christine, just to chuck this quickly at you, um, 
I mean, it, a, a slight sort of leap from that, um, that, that element of the discussion. I, am I, despite what Owen says about um, other stakeholders having moved on on this, um, am I, is it wrong for me to say that perhaps there is, there is when you come, when it actually comes to dealing with um, problem fans, with fans who get drawn into, or, you know, that some people might say they choose to be violent, you know, ha whatever happens, they become drawn into violence. And we can talk a bit, a bit more about that in a minute with Amanda. Um, is there still a sense in that particular area, for example, that clubs kind of hide behind um, uh, the police or, 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 or this being a public order issue always? And what I'm saying that why I'm saying that is because of that point about um, when when fans become violent, they, they it always appears to me that they're no longer fans. No, they're not real fans. Um, they just need to be banned and ar arrested and banned, uh, you know. Is that is that fair to say, or, or I mean, you know, um, it, it's something that I sort of think. Yeah, it's a difficult one for football clubs because we talk about police resources in dealing with these issues, but there's a club resource issue in dealing with these issues as well. How far does a remit of a football club go in terms of dealing with this? But actually, at Grimsby, we do, in terms of your young your young people that that have, post COVID have come in. As, uh, I went out as 11, 12 year olds are now 15, 16 and are, have been sat watching YouTube videos and, and want to get themselves involved in that sort of stuff. And we, it's got to be a collective effort. Um, we're really lucky. I can only speak about relationships at Grimsby. We're really lucky that we do have a good relationship with Homicide Police. Not always been that way. Um, and there is, I think people want to, when we talk about passing fault in terms of fan behaviour, there is a passing of the book of the responsibility of who's going to sort that or, or navigate the issues that that brings. And actually, it's on all of us. It's about self-policing and telling people, do you know what? That's that's not acceptable. Um, but we're also a lot of this conversation what we're having here right now is about um, scrapping, going for a scrapping. Actually, that's not a huge, massive, massive part of football in the last 18 months. It's more the antisocial behaviour. Um, and that is on all of us to be dealing with it, not just football clubs, not just police, but, but other fans as well. And we've got to do it as a collective. And that what we find with younger fans is a lack of understanding of where that line is. And that's not an easy job to sort. That's And I found that, and Amanda will know this, because I this is one of the big things that I've had to do over the last 18 months, is, is educate younger fans to go, well, you're enjoying yourself but one person's enjoyment is another person's pain in the backside and you're being a pain in the backside. And I won't just tell you being a pain in the backside. I'll tell you why. And I'll talk, I'll connect you with a football fan that's actually feeling that you're intimidating them. And sometimes actions, actions of football fans are taken as aggressive or um, violent, leading towards violence. And that's a lot of it is because of the broad emphasis on law and legislation around football. Um, statistics, when you speak to a football fan or a non-football fan, because a lot of this is aimed at non-football fans to back up Owen in terms of policing, trying to get more finance, the narratives are always towards non-football people that aren't necessarily educated and know about the intricacies of, of football support. And these statistics, violence 
is there that others is there that many scrapping anymore football? No. Our reports still led on um hooliganism and violence. You dig into it and it's not this massive issue that, that people are sort of being told that it is. Antisocial behaviour is a problem. Knowing where the line is with these young people is a problem. Is that an issue that um that I as a support liaison officer as a director should be getting involved in? Absolutely yes because they are part of our community. And actually some of this stuff is led to what's going on outside of football. So if we can lend an ear or lend a bit of advice or lend a link to somewhere else to help solve another issue that's that's making itself known at football, then that as a football club is something that we should be doing and something that at Grimsby Town we do do. That was a bit of a long-winded answer there, wasn't it? <laughs> no, I, you know, this is all good stuff. I want people to hear this. Um, Amanda, that, that, that without um, stealing your thunder too much, I just want to kind of slightly parry this, direct it slightly towards um, the, the fan project stuff, some of the stuff that, so Sydney, our um, in-house writer, is, 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 is at Think Fan Engagement, um, that um, he mentions in his article, which will be accompanying this podcast, um, this idea, you know, when I heard you on the Anfield Rap podcast, um, uh, some of it appealed to me partly because of my background, having kind of effectively been heading down a social work path for some years before I changed, um, abruptly ch changed, changed career in my mid-twenties. So I kind of have experience of, you know, vulnerable people and vulnerable young people get drawn into things and not necessarily understanding of them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What came across with with what you did um, so powerfully was that, yeah, there are people who choose to be idiots, but there are a lot of people who kind of aren't always aware that they're getting drawn in and it's kind of almost too late and it becomes quite addictive in a sense. And that actually, look, it's not about being a hippie um, and saying, well, look, let's let just forgive everyone and let them walk away. Because I think sometimes people parody um, a view of dealing with, disorder, violence of problem fans in that way. And I think that's a general approach, dare I say it. I think some people have that view about, about that sort of approach in general, but um, actually giving people an opportunity and trying to help them if they want the help and trying to give them opportunities to exit, you know, disordered behavior, poor, you know, poor behavior in those sorts of places. That, that's got to be an option for the for, for people, isn't it? You've got to try to provide those opportunities. That, that's what, for me, came out of that podcast. And am I am I misinterpreting what what you experienced? No, I, 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 I don't think you are. And um, typically, I'm going to sort of address the points you made in a very roundabout way. Um, I think, first of all, again, as Christine and Owen have alluded to, a, a football club is at the heart of the community. And that old adage, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, again, as Christine said, is absolutely true. Um, football as an industry, notwithstanding the good work that has been done, you know, you, you've got to have a bit of an ironic smile because it wrings its hands and says, oh, my God, this is so awful. What can we do about it? Well, look at what you have done. And what you have done is always apply the punitive. You, football as an industry, has thought that it can ban its way out of these behavioural issues that we see. You know, the criminal justice system is very harsh when it comes to football fans. They, they go to court for 
offences that they wouldn't in any other context. You've got football banning orders, a football club's general default position to poor behaviour is you're banned, you're banned for five years, 10 years, you're banned for life. But again, this is one of those where you don't know whether to laugh or cry. There is so much good work that football does with young people. Every single football club has an academy or a charitable arm attached to it, which does fantastic work in their communities. Look, look at going back not, not that long ago, a year or so ago, Arsenal did that massive campaign around knife crime. There are various football clubs in London, Millwall and Crystal Palace being two of them that are involved with the Metropolitan Police around, um, again, knife crime. Uh, my, my understanding is if a young person gets nicked for, for knife crime, they get taken into police custody. Within the custody suite are people from football clubs that swoop in, provide a much needed safety net, offer these young people all sorts of alternatives, education, apprenticeships, training. Football is doing all this amazing work with people in their communities. And yet when it comes to that, and I'm not, I'm not saying they shouldn't do it, far from it. What I am saying is why the bloody hell isn't that amazing work mirrored and replicated with their own supporters? Right, but it's, Amanda. That's, and that baffles me. That's, that's a great link, right? So um, this is what, Christine, sounds to me like you informally, you know, as a club you've been doing, and I presume, you know, does probably exist um, at other places, but is not joined up particularly. This brings me to the point, you know, the thing that I obviously need to always try to get to, which is that um, this is all about fan engagement. It's ultimately about the relationship between clubs and fans and that you can't, clubs, um, uh, clubs can't opt out of, the, of, of, of things because they may be a bit tougher to deal with, um, like their own fans, you know, in these examples, it's an absolutely, you know, the parallel between being arrested for something like a, a knife offence and receiving support from a football club, whereas being arrested for doing something daft at football, whatever it is, or doing something stupid at football, and then you're out on your own, you know, at some point, um, have um, I'm a, clubs are not being encouraged to see these things as similar enough to apply the same methods to deal with them and is, is that maybe um uh is that maybe a side effect to the fact that ultimately this would need proper leadership from i uh, really from leagues i don't expect the fa to lead on this because the professional game doesn't really want the fa near um a lot of what it does but is this really where say you know the the, the, the premier league the efl um should be alongside the other things that they um try to do for clubs, which is quite restricted because clubs want the money in their pockets to pay for their wages and pay, pay salaries. Is this where leagues should be saying, right, we need to lead, a we need to persuade clubs that actually this is sufficiently serious enough for us to need to ring fence and budget so we can start running these programmes like the German FA uh, did, um, and I understand was also funded by regional government over there, or like Standard Liège did. These are examples that are that, that will be in the article that we publish is that is that a route we can go down because you know ultimately if if you've got something that you know the similarity is so you know it's clearly there isn't it christine 
still there? Yeah, I think yeah, I think there there is a similarity, um, but I think it's a little bit of a cop out for football clubs to be waiting to be told to do it. This this sort of thing shouldn't be top down. This should be something that you should be getting on with and doing. Um, could we do more? We can always do more. Do we do enough? Within my role and my capacity, we do. Um, you know, we've linked up with Navigo, um, a local mental health charity. Um, and in terms of funding, actually, if your football club's got a charitable arm that all league clubs have, to say there aren't any funds, there's possibly, probably some pots of money in community funding that actually through your charitable arm you can be doing. So there's, it's a little bit like policing. So we've, we've been on and started this with the police do this when they should be doing this. And, and actually football clubs really aren't any different with some of this. Um, there's, everybody's 100 miles an hour and everybody's in their lane and everybody's tunnel focused. And it's not until you step back and go, well, we, we're doing it now at Grimsby Town and we're really at the, 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 we're probably behind some clubs, but ahead of quite a few in the, the community aspect, we're in the community all of the time. These people that we're seeing coming to football on a, a Saturday, we're seeing in schools during the week. Well, let's make that connection that on a Saturday when they come and cause a bit of a problem, we're not there wagging our fingers at them. They're seen as other points during the week where, how are you doing? Da, 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 da. And there's that link there. It's going to be a responsibility of a football club. And um, football clubs, it is a cop-out to be waiting to be told to do this. Why do football clubs need to be told to do this? Why is it not? Um, we talk about buzzwords in police and there are buzzwords in football clubs. We're all about our fans. We're all about our community. Well, are we all about our fans up to a point and then at quarter past five and we've booted them out of a stadium, you're done? Is that enough? And I think that the blurred lines and the boundaries of responsibility of football clubs is one that is as far or as close to your football club and your match day as maybe your resources want it to be or the drive of the people that are involved in your football club. We're incredibly lucky with our owners that they're Grinsby people and understand, you know, the issues that are here in Grinsby, but there are an incredible amount of positives. So let's bring those positives into the football club and align them and link them with the community. We can't say we're a community club when it doesn't, when it suits us. Community clubs is a very big buzzword, as much as there are all sorts of buzzwords and policing. And we've got to back that up with action, not just a few words before a match day. Um, but for me, absolutely, waiting for the responsibility to be bestowed upon you by whoever it's going to be is not acceptable for me there's no reason people can't be doing this stuff now christine it's an it's this is the sort of the bit that i'm going to come to you Owen, in a sec um this is a this is for me where um you get i try to explain when we talk about fan engagement and support or involvement in football um is i try to explain to people look fan engagement is different you've got to understand that doing a great community program isn't the same as doing good fan engagement However, as I always explain to people as well, there's always overlap. And if you don't um, uh, realise that, you'll end up mistreating or ignoring fans who you might be affecting through your community work or other organisations, other stakeholders. You'll be doing community work with one face and then doing bad fun engagement with another. And people will notice that. And this is a classic area which overlaps. 
Um, and it strikes me that what I, I, I think there is some leadership here at, at, at sort of legal level, I think, but I think you're absolutely right. All of this stuff is here and it, and it needs to be accessed and used and people need to understand that they're seeing the same people on, or, you know, in the stadium during the week, uh, on a Saturday or a Tuesday, Wednesday night, as and many of those will be there during the week in the community programmes. It just takes a bit of joined up thinking. Owen, how much of um, this, because you um, um, are someone who uh, uh, was involved in, um, now from my, from my, just from my memory, the, the, you, you witnessed, um, Cardiff City fans, I think it was at Bradford, wasn't it? Um, essentially being shoved on coaches and, and sent back away after a game. Um, and it was that experience that kind of helped you to form how you see a lot of uh, policing intervention and things like that. How much of this is about um, setting aside um, the actual policing? How much of this is about de-escalation through football doing things like the very successful programme that Cardiff City ended up implementing with their SLO, very active piece of work? You know, would that reduce huge amounts of tension when it then comes to these issues that, that, that get expressed through tweets like the one from the Cleveland police or the attitude of, of, of certain leadership in, in police? There's a few things in there, Kevin. Just a glimmer of hope, uh, Amanda's been very modest, but Amanda and Ashley Jane Lowerson, who's a, an academic at Northumbria University, have actually, uh, at the sort of uh, the commissioning and the request of the AFL, uh, worked on, uh, for want of a better phrase, a sanctioning guidance for all AFL clubs. And if you look at that, you can start to see the seeds of a more progressive view around uh, supporting young people, around not getting people involved as a first resort in the criminal justice system. So there is something out there now that is available, albeit only to the AFL clubs at the minute, but it's out there for the, the 70 odd clubs to start to sort of have some consistency and to start to think about some of these things. The weird thing for me is in just about every other single uh, facet of policing, the police have come to the view that they need to work with partners and, and adopt a public health approach so if you think about the, you know, the so-called war on drugs, if you think about um, child abuse, if you think about domestic abuse as well, you are seeing the police think much, much more about a public health uh, perspective, about working in partnerships and around supporting people rather than throwing them into the criminal justice system. And, and for whatever reason, this is probably, well, I'll be honest, I can't think of any other area of, of policing where we are, where the service is still stuck in the in the sort of arrest, ban, charge, prosecute type of thinking. Now, some of that is, is because there's some money involved here. You know, police forces can leverage money from the Home Office in terms of the banning orders that they get. So there's a financial incentive for forces to do that. It gets wrapped up in the performance framework around arrests and charges and things like that. So... Uh, my, my plea to the service going forward is, you know, in all of these other areas, you are moving on a much, much more progressive partnership driven um, agenda, understanding that what harm does. And we need to start thinking, I think, differently, Kevin, around risk. You know, there's a lot of discussion um, that we've had today about violence and disorder and things like that. Actually, 
the last few months have shown us that the real risk in football is around stadium safety and stadium management. If you think about a lack of stewarding that all clubs have experienced, if you think about poor quality of stewarding, think about you know de-skilled and inexperienced safety industry staff. Um, look at some of the things we've had, you know, Sociedad, uh, you know, the exits and the stairways blocked, potential overcrowding. Uh, look at what happened in Indonesia, 120 dead, and the police adopt a public order mindset, which is CS spray, to deal with what is actually a, a public safety issue. Think about Stade de France, closed turnstiles, no perimeter checks, Wembley, you know, emergency fire doors getting breached, a, a lot of inexperienced stewards there. Hillsborough at the weekend, do we dare use the word Hillsborough, but Hillsborough at the weekend, uh, and I know that that's being, um, that's sort of being looked at now by SGSA, the police, the FA and others, uh, inadequate stewarding with when Newcastle were there, overcrowding. Um, there was an incident in November last year in rugby in relation to overcrowding and, and several thousand people coming into the ground in, in, in a 10 minute spell. And then obviously look at Ellen Road in Leeds, uh, uh, my patch last year, again, Newcastle, overcrowding, inadequate st stewarding. That's where the risk is at the moment in the industry. That's where we all need to be thinking about and try to get away from this sense that the risk is about, you know, people fighting. As Chris said, you know, organized um, violence between, you know, risk supporters is, is actually not a great feature of football matches. It is the opportunistic things that happen. It is the antisocial behaviour. And it is where failures in terms of crowd safety and stadium management begins to develop into the police having to then move into a, move from a, a public safety to a public order type uh, view. So a long-winded way of saying we need to think differently about risk and we need to think about what are the, where's the evidence here? Where is the evidence-based policing that proves that the way that you unlock some of these issues is not by enforcement and by arrest. It is by support, it is by diversion, it is around equipping people and moving around them to de-escalate and to deal with some of these issues without getting involved in the criminal justice system. Amanda, very politely putting your hand I, I think part, part, thanks Kev, I think part of the reason why we see all of this is because there's no real scrutiny about football because the narrative is football is a problem, fans are hooligans. They are, you know, I, I'm not about to say that football, you know, being a football fan should be a protected characteristic. Absolutely not. That would be bonkers. But if we did have that protection, there would be scrutiny that there, there would be, um, you know, far more in-depth analysis and, you know, I think it, all stakeholders have got a part to play in this. And I think, it, you know, the, the, the pinnacle was the Champions League final last year in Paris. I think that was a result of years and years and years of um, all, all, all sorts of different di dynamics. But, but the media not looking into it properly when things go wrong, because the media's preferred narrative is football fans are a bunch of thugs. So that they would splash a fight all over the front pages. But when there's a very real risk to safety, not quite so much. Although, to be fair, things are improving slightly. Um, clubs, you know, clubs whose fans play abroad. Every single supporter who's gone to Europe for a match will have a horror story of some degree. 
where's the scrutiny around that? You know, what what have the clubs done? And I, I know we're digressing slightly to Europe, but it's all part of the same problem, all part of the same narrative. You know, where have English clubs been in writing to the European authorities saying, you put our supporters at very real risk. You are very lucky you've not got blood on your hands. Clubs haven't done that because, you know, for all sorts of reasons, supporters themselves have, and this isn't victim blaming at all, but supporters themselves have got what I call and expect and accept mentality so they expect to be treated badly and when they are they accept it and even when they do complain you know the the complaints process in the police is destructive obstructive you know it is designed to deter people from pursuing their complaints football clubs will just write off a complaint so we've got all these different strands playing into what we are now seeing and we really need to be far more nuanced in our arguments. I mean, all, all, all these sort of headlines that we saw, all the endless talk, all, all the hours and hours of talking and discussion about the behaviour last season, you know, about the pitch invasions, about the antisocial problems of behaviour. Yes, of course, there were problems. Nobody is denying that. But where was the nuance? You know, where were the evidence-based solutions? There weren't any. It was just, oh, my God, football fans are running on the pitch. We can't have hooliganism coming back. There needs to be a crackdown. And as a result of that crackdown, there's even more of an emphasis on fan behaviour and not fan safety. And I've kind of lost my thread a bit because... All right. No, I... no, no. I just... But... Yeah. I'd, I'd like to try and kind of head towards wrapping up because I'm aware that, um, that, that, that time's against us. Um I just wanted to quickly um, bring Sydney in because um, he's Sydney wise. He's he's written the the sort of companion piece to this podcast. I will let you, the three of you, just kind of do a quick summation at the end. But Sydney, I mean, you're just a fan. I mean, you are just a fan, right? You just go to matches, and it was the conversation we had about this was um, was a similar one to what what I remember having with my dad. Um, when police started shoving cameras in our faces um, in the mid nineties or so. Um, does, does, does this experience accord with your, you know, does the, a lot of what's said accord with your experience and what you've observed of what you sort of seen in writing, what you put together? Yeah. I mean, that incident you're referring to, that's one of my earliest memories of going to football matches. I go to football matches with my dad. Uh, he doesn't drink. Not many people. I don't really drink either. So we don't, we don't have many experiences with the police before getting to the ground. We don't go to the pub for a game, nothing like that. But it was leaving a ground, I think it was Wickham. And I just remember leaving. I had, I had a great day, been to football, you know, it was all going fantastically. And then I, they had this cordoned off area, tripod, camera. And I just remember I could have been no older than 14, just think, just confused. And you know, why on earth are they filming me? Why are they filming my dad? And I remember seeing some some of our fans getting really quite angry at them why why they're filming it. It's sort of it's a memory that stayed with me. It sort of ruined my day a bit. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's a, say, it's a good it's a good reminder um, and just an adjunct to what uh, Amanda was saying that we get used to perhaps you know just going back to the policing specific issue, but you know we can wrap up with a general comment from all of you on on all of this because this isn't just about policing. This is about the way fans are regarded, um, the way they're treated, but also their expectations. And their Amanda, there are the expectations of a fan at 14 years old, as it was. Um, um, they're, they're, you know, expectations being set 
from that moment you turn up to a football match, you're being filmed. Um, it's, got a, it's kind of not great, is it? And it's kind of, it, it, from everything that everyone said, you know, Christine talking about the, the, the emergence of approaches to this, uh, certainly at Grimsby and the availability of resources potentially, certainly the potential there that you both talked about when it comes to community trusts that exist, you do fantastic, the foundations that do fantastic work um, across the piece, why don't they just join the dots and start doing that with their own fans? We we don't need to be in this place, do we, um, um, Amanda? Is there, is there anything kind of you'd like to just add to that to sum up? Yeah, I mean, Sid perfectly highlights again, you know, when, when I do talk to the police, what I say to them, um, most people's interactions with the police happen solely at football. And, you know, as a 14 year old Sid, I'm sure you weren't brought up to be told not to trust the police, to hate the police, their pigs, you know, all of that. But your early interactions with them at a very relatively young age were negative and they've stuck with you. And again, you know, this, this is where the police are missing real opportunities to properly engage and get their communities on side. I think to sort of summarise, we are categorically in a much better place than we were when I first started doing this job 10, 15 years ago. I think all the good positive things that have happened within football, you know, the independent advisory groups, West Midlands Police in particular are doing lots of intervention work, looking at alternatives to prosecution. All of those good things are happening despite the leadership at the top and not because of it. But I think until we get rid of this mindset that was illustrated by the tweet that Cleveland put out, things will never be truly as good as they could and should be. You know, unconscious bias is another buzzword that we hear a lot about. And I think there is a lot of it in football policing. You know, unconsciously the cops go out to police. Oh, here we go, you know, three or four hours standing in the pissing rain, dealing with all these hooligans, don't want to be here. So their mindset is negative from the start. And that mindset needs to change into a positive one. And I think when that happens, we will be in a better place still. And again, you know, again, just to quickly summarise, the clubs absolutely need to recognise their moral obligation. You know, that they, again, they can't have their need it. They can't talk about being the centre of their communities and yet deal with the problematic behaviour by putting it back out into the communities without dealing with it. The tools are there, the resources are there, the finances are there. There's, there's no excuse for clubs not to be more, far more imaginative and see beyond banning people I mean, as, I want, a, as a solution because it's simply not a solution. It achieves nothing. I want, I want to bookend this podcast with Christine, give the final word, really because of her position as the SLO and a director of Grimsby and because of what she's talked about um, with the opportunities there in, in intervention. So, Owen, can I just come to you for a final word and then we'll go to Christine. Yeah, um, there is a wealth of evidence, a wealth of evidence, and I'm talking evidence that, that's been around for 30, 40 years now, available to the police about, um, you know, academic uh, evidence, research, um, real world examples that are out there that, that show how to de-escalate and therefore how to police football with reduced numbers and therefore to police in a more legitimate way. 
Now, the police learnt that lesson in relation to the policing of protests with the death of Mr Ian Tomlinson in the G20 uh, disorders uh, in London. So they, they had their catastrophic moment, which was his death. That led to reform. It led to the police adopting the evidence that had been there for some considerable time. Um, we haven't had that in football yet. Of course, we've had the absolute tragedy and disaster of Hillsborough. Um, but, but the thing that, that strikes me is, you know, my, my job at the moment, Kevin, is teaching the next generation of police officers. And we talk about scandals a lot. You know, we talk about the Stephen Lawrence case a lot. Uh, you know, a real epoch moment in terms of changing the police. Uh, many would argue, and I, and I would agree, it's still very much a work in progress. But as a result of what happened with Stephen, you know, the service has changed dramatically and is seeking to continue to change dramatically. Yet look at Hillsborough. You know, it, it, it strikes me that the service ought to be saying of all groups in society on the back of what happened at Hillsborough, we ought to be doing as much as we possibly can around having a better relationship, uh, around having that community mindset that Amanda talks about. And for whatever reason, that, that football example has not bled across into the, into the psychology that, that we talked about at the beginning of this. So my, my, my fear is, my fear is it's going to take a tragedy. It's going to take um, some awful event for the police service nationally to be forced into doing something. You look at the history of reform in the police, it tends to follow a scandal, tends to follow an outcry, or something going badly wrong, and then that, that if you like, uh, th there is a demand for reform. And despite having Hillsborough, we still haven't seen that call yet. And so I, I just hope that the progressive forces out there that want to do things differently, don't wait for a disaster to happen. Use the evidence that's available to you. Use the evidence that you're using every time you protest, you, you police a protest in your force area. Um, yeah, I'll shut up on that point. Christine, um, this is ultimately the fun engagement pod. It went, you know, it is about engagement, and we have talked about that and touched on that. Um, and we touched briefly when you were talking about some of the stuff that is going on and could be done, you know. And I mentioned this, 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 this fact that you know engagement with the community and engagement with fans overlaps. This is an overlapping area. There are opportunities here, aren't there? And clubs can seize those. Um, and they should be getting on with it and they should see that as an overlapping part of fan engagement programme and fan engagement programme overlapping with the community engagement programme. Absolutely. I think what everybody tends to do is treat a difficult problem in football like a hot potato. Nobody wants to touch it and it gets chucked around and chucked around and chucked around and everybody gets massively frustrated. Then it escalates into this even bigger problem than it ever started with. And it takes twice as long to unravel and deal with. Well, let's deal with it at source. So we deal with it at club. Um, and we don't pass. There are going to be situations where if you smack somebody at a football game, the police are dealing with you. We're not messing about. And this is not. And, and I don't know if Amanda's had this, but we are not hooligan apologists. We are just treating people in the right way it is not about if you go and call serious disorder that we want you let off to do as you please that's absolutely not it but what's happening is behavior of some people young people that they deem is appropriate they're not 
being educated to be told and informed that that is not really the right way. And the hot potato then goes to the police because the clubs don't really want to deal with it. So um, we do try and deal with it at club. I work incredibly closely with our um, dedicated football officer. Um, and that's a big part where we go, right, we've got the situation. How do we deal with it? Well, we don't really want to put them through the court. So let's try it at club level. Um, we, let's, And it takes a lot of my time. It takes a lot of other people's time, the safety officer's time. But investing that time into your football, your young football supporters that are part of your wider community has a bigger benefit than the 90 minutes that football brings them into your kingdom for. And that's what we've got to do. Stop the hot potato stuff. And just going back onto what we started with in terms of the tweets, um, officers need to stop trying to tweet stuff for likes and just don't bother tweeting. Just don't bother. That's that's my last bit on that just stop tweeting for attention um sometimes i think the negative attention is positive attention for them because it's anti-football supporters so it'll get a big attraction and just give it up right everyone thank you very much um that was a great place to finish to bring it back to the kind of very start of it and yes undoubtedly um social media bants as you might want to term it i mean it's not something that i think the police should be engaging in. i don't think it's something personally i get a bit bored of seeing clubs engaging in bants instead of actual engagement but it's a good point to finish on and look thanks to to all four of you for um for sparing the time today and um we'll see you soon I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Fan Engagement Pod. Listen via your favourite podcast app, search Fan Engagement Pod, and please like, subscribe and share. It really does help our visibility in a crowded podcast world. Keep an eye on Fan Engagement Net and find our socials on linktree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash think fan engagement. Yeah, yeah.